0: You're listening to a podcast from the South China Morning Post. So let's
1: talk about single ladies. And by that, I mean the words people use to describe single ladies. In the English language, the word spinster is defined as an unmarried woman who's older than the usual age for marriage. That word was first used sometime around the 1300s, because back then, unmarried women could only get low-status, low-income jobs like spinning wool. Spinster was a description used on official documents in England until the year 2005, when both Spinster and Bachelor were dropped in favor of using the word single. But it was two years later, in 2007, when a special phrase aimed at single women in China became a thing. It started with China's Ministry of Education, who released an official statement defining unmarried women over the age of 27 as "shengnu," which translates as leftover woman. And then four years later in 2011, the All-China Women's Federation decided International Women's Day was a great date to start publishing a series of articles, starting with this one.
0: Leftover women do not deserve
1: our sympathy. And they follow that with this bit of advice.
0: Girls with an average or ugly appearance hope to further their education in order to increase their competitiveness. The tragedy is they don't realize that as women age, they're worth less and less. So by the time they get their MA or PhD, they're already old, like yellowed pearls.
1: There's no Chinese word for leftover men in China even though there's 35 million more of them than women, thanks to the one-child policy and a culture favoring sons over daughters. But there is a word based on the massive gender imbalance in China's rural areas, where there are villages full of men unable to find women to marry. They're called gun, which translates as bare branches. Two years ago, an expert from a social development think tank in central China came up with a daring new idea to solve China's looming demographic crisis. Unmarried women living in cities should be encouraged to migrate to rural areas and marry all the unmarried men. Problem solved? It's 16 years since the invention of the term leftover woman, and there's indications that the attitudes, the name-calling, the pressure on women who don't get married in their 20s is possibly changing. It just might have something to do with these women being the most educated in China's history, living through China's longest period of economic growth, and inheriting property like no other generation of women in China has ever done before. And now, there's an estimated 7 million unmarried women aged 25 to 34 living in China's major cities. And they've got something that commands attention from governments and corporations alike. Huge economic power. And they don't care what society expects them to do. This is China's demographic revolution. My name is Jasmine Tse, and you're listening to episode two, All the Single Ladies, The Rise of China's Leftover Women. I've been talking with some of these so-called leftover women about the decisions they're making for the present and the plans they're making for the future. They've been through the relentless questioning at family dinners. They've been through the awkward attempts at matchmaking by their parents. They've grown up with the past 16 years of state-sponsored hostility against women who don't marry by the age of 27. And it sounds like something might be changing in Chinese culture, or at least in China's state-controlled media. All the single ladies in their 30s are getting a different sort of attention.
0: Yeah, I think over the past five years, there have been more representation of them in TV drama. This is Rachel, a 30-year-old woman living in Beijing. You heard her in our previous
1: episode. She's talking about a trend in Chinese TV to portray older, educated
0: women who aren't married. So basically, there is one called Delicious Romance the Chinese name is Ai Han Mei Wei. The TV series really was a hit in China. And it featured three characters who have really strong female friendship. And in having this as a foundation, they're also navigating their romance life. And the show featured their quarrel with family and their family expectations but also a girl inside of the the show, she is more career-driven. So her power dynamic with her boyfriend is also very realistically portrayed in the show. And then we see this third girl. She is not so much career-driven, but a lot of men have crushes over her. So she has a relatively seemingly more comfortable life. But again, she needs to find her inner strength to really be independent. So we see all those, I would say, realistic, more realistic portray of so-called leftover woman from the drama. And that was very inspiring for us. It's just very encouraging to see those realistic portrays.
1: It sounds a lot like Sex in the City.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it is. Except... I think I relate to the show better than Sex and City. The Sex and City feels like, I think, in the storyline, which I emotionally resonate, but I couldn't really see myself as a characters. But here from the show, it feels I relate to the character more seemingly, and it's a comfortable feeling.
1: After more than a decade of state media portraying unmarried women as picky or perverse, it sounds like a new approach is being taken.
2: What's working with Chinese propaganda is that there have been so many shows of older women hanging out with younger dudes. Uh, Maybe they get romantically involved with... Uh, guys in their early twenties, while the woman is like in her early thirties. I think that's a really interesting trend to see. This is Ling Jiang.
1: She's an independent journalist based in Shanghai, and she's thirty-one years old.
2: There has also been like many social media content talking about, oh, as a sister, that's how like, Chinese people calling this older woman as a sister. How do you get someone who's younger than you? I think it's really it's very socially accepted now which is a good thing at the same time. I think there's also like government forces behind it because it's definitely good for birth rate if they want to bump that up. Just today I saw like a viral Weibo hashtag that says something like, oh, 32 year old woman took her eight year old kid to her master's graduation. I'm like, this is so obvious that (laughs) I think maybe the media, the state media, wants me to think I can have both career and family. And actually, the, the top-voted Weibo users think the same. I think these things like this, when we see propaganda like this, we feel really—we like, feel like it's a very silly thing, and of course we don't
1: listen to it. And here's why there's an added layer of complexity for Chinese women making decisions on marriage, settling down, having children— It's heavily influenced by what type of city you're from. Yaling is originally from a third-tier city in Jiangsu province. She then lived abroad for several years before moving to Shanghai, a first-tiered city. Did your attitude about marriage and having kids, did that change when you moved from a lower-tier city to Shanghai?
2: I think in a way, I haven't been super affected by the social perceptions from my hometown. But I think uh, from a... From what I heard and experience from my mom, I think she had been under a lot of pressure when I was in my late 20s because when she goes to these social settings, all the people will be asking about my marital situations, marital status, whether I have a boyfriend, and maybe that's their icebreaker conversation, but that does give my mom and maybe other people a lot of pressure and they wouldn't be thinking that, oh, we are like being watched. Everyone else is getting married, why aren't you? So like through her, I could feel the social pressure from my home city
1: But Ling said that her mom has changed a lot in recent
2: years, partly because she's now over 30 years old. I now have passed 30, which is a big year in China. I think especially for women, Um, that's kind of funny, actually, because I think in my city, before a woman turns 30, she could still be uh, quite popular in the marriage and dating market. People would still be happy to set her up. With their siblings or like because the kids of their friends. but but once this woman passed the age of thirty, she will probably be seen as like the the leftover that no one wants. And that's what my mom was saying actually a few years back because I'm now thirty one. and when I was, at 28, 29, my mom was really rushing and urging me to go on these blind dates because she was also like, oh, once you passed 30, no one even wants to introduce any boyfriends to you. These days, Yaling's mom is talking about something else. I think in, over the last two years, thanks to social media, she's these days she's seeing a lot of single moms on social media. She's also seeing like single moms with like mixed babies or like Chinese women who would get their eggs frozen outside China and come back, I think with a baby from, with sperms from a sperm bank or something. So thanks to social media that all can open the world to my mom. She's not giving me as much pressure anymore. She's even very encouraging of me to maybe try to get my eggs frozen. Is that something that you're actually considering to do in the the future? I think I would start thinking about doing that maybe at at 33 or 35. I still haven't given up on finding people naturally, (laughs) but I'm also open to getting a sperm somewhere. (laughs) Yes.
1: Since 2001, unmarried women in China have been prohibited from all assisted reproductive technology. That includes egg freezing. The National Health Commission said these technologies should only be used to help married couples who are infertile or for women whose fertility may be affected by cancer. On the other hand, men are allowed to freeze their sperm regardless of their marital status. This whole issue over who gets to access these technologies dominated public discussion just a couple years ago. That was in 2018, when an unmarried woman named Teresa Xu was denied access to freezer eggs in a Beijing hospital. She became the first woman to bring her case to court in 2019. The courts sided with the hospital. But recently, in May, Teresa lodged a final appeal. Many women in China are now keeping a close watch on how her case develops. But freezing their eggs in China isn't the only option. Here's Rachel
0: again. So a lot of women, I think around my age or slightly older, would go to Southeast Asia or US to do this procedure. And is really a plan B. I think for a lot of people, if they don't find a husband, if they haven't find a husband, they want to make sure they have a backup plan that they could still have baby in the future. And I see it more like a comfort pill. Like they did freeze their eggs, they feel more comfortable and more confidently to pursue their independent life. And I think it's a way to meet someone naturally in the future, but still you'll have this seed saved. I think it's a good add-on option from woman in my generation, in my age.
1: Would you also consider freezing your eggs?
0: Mm, if I had the spare money, I would. How much
1: do they usually
0: cost? From what I last heard, for a trip in the U.S., the total procedure, including the maintenance of the viability of the eggs, is about 20,000 which is 200,000 RMB. 200,000 RMB. That's
1: more than 27000 U.S. dollars. Wow, that's a lot of money.
0: It is a lot of money. It's probably, I think, an average annual salary for some of the women.
1: So it's really like an investment for them to make this kind of decision to freeze their eggs.
0: Yeah, a self-investment, I would say.
1: Let me give you three numbers. Four, two, one four aging grandparents, two aging parents, and one child to look after them. This is what the one-child policy generation now faces. And they've also got to decide whether they want to add one more number to that equation. One child? Two children? Three children? Is this a concern for you? Are you worried about looking after your parents and grandparents?
0: To be honest, in my situation, I'm not too worried about looking after them, because for my parents, they do a really good job of looking after my grandparents, and they take it as part of their duty. But in terms of looking after my parents when they get older, I think that is something that I am a little worried, but not too much because they have good friends group and they understand the freedom I have and the boundary between our roles, which I, I think I'm blessed by open-minded parents and they want me to live happily and then they, they can live happily as well. So I think mostly they want me to be responsible of my life and they are responsible of their life after retirement and all that. So it's a nice balance from my side of the story. Are nursing homes, are they
1: common in China for people to send their parents to nursing homes? I wonder that
0: question myself, if my generation would opt to send their parents to nursing home. And I think the stereotype has turned from my parents' generation where they think send your parents to nursing home is not faithful, it's not self should it's not good for your parents, just leave them to a strange place, and doesn't really fit the Chinese culture where all the family live together under one roof. But in my generation, I think nursing home, perhaps it's more like a vacation house, to send their parents. Rachel said she actually has a friend who started their own nursing home. And the nursing home is designed to be more culturally aware, to be more friendly, community-centered, and hope for the young generation and their parents to live harmoniously in that community.
1: Rachel said she's also aware of cases of elderly abuse in nursing homes, but she believes people in her generation will be responsible in conducting due diligence. and. For that, I'm hopeful. Ever since the shock news that China's population dropped in January, local governments have been proposing and implementing various measures to tackle falling birth rates. After 35 years of one-child propaganda, now they're pushing measures to convince women to get married and have kids. Some are offering cash incentives for a second or third child. Some are extending maternity leave. Some are providing free daycare. The government thinks these proposals are convincing. But what do the women think? Here's Natalia, who we heard in a previous episode. What is your Mm -hmm. opinion of these measures? Do they convince you to get married or to get... No. Not at all. Not at all. No,
0: no. Not at all. Because I feel like most of the measures are too minimum. It's like the money they give is like not even covered to have, raise a kid at all. So I don't think that really counts to stimulate the birth rate or the people's desire to get married. Yeah, I, I don't feel like this kind of practical measures, I don't think it convinces
1: me at all. Let me bring in Dr. Ye Liu from our previous episode. She's a professor from King's College London who conducted studies on women born during the one-child policy. And she agrees that these measures are not convincing at all. The policy
3: initiatives proposed so far will not convince women to have more children, to have more babies. Clearly, there is some improvement in terms of addressing women's concern, but these policies are not good enough. So the women I interviewed, they have a wide range of concerns about child rearing.
1: She says many women believe the state-subsidized childcare infrastructures, such as nurseries and daycares, are simply not good enough.
3: So the government need to invest in more and provide a much more robust care infrastructure. And the second, a more difficult task is to convince women to trust the government provision of a childcare. So a lot of women I talk to, they have this trust issue. They experience the formula scandal, the unsafe vaccine poisonous toys, you know, this society is actually not very child-friendly.
1: Dr. Liu is referring to the deadly baby milk formula scandal of 2008 when 300,000 children were poisoned after chemicals were added in the production process by a major Chinese company. And then there was another scandal about rabies vaccines for children in 2018. On top of that, she tells me it's cases of child abuse in nurseries that are also alarming these women.
3: A lot of women I interviewed said, how can I bring a child into this world? when it's Everywhere I go, just scary, unsafe. So to build a society much safer and to provide much more robust regulations to safeguard child well-being, I think that's a very, very long-term task for the government.
1: Dr. Liu, can I just be blunt here? The government is made up of men over the age of 65, and they're trying to convince women in their 20s and 30s to have more kids. How does this play out for you? Uh, this is an excellent question. I think it's a kind
3: of a gender conflict, as you put it really clearly. Men over 65 are making policies for women and for young women. So Chinese young women, particularly the women born under the one-child policy, are becoming much more gender egalitarian. They're much more kind of progressive in terms of their social attitudes and civic mind. However, the society is still very patriarchal. And, uh, you know, led by this particular older cohort of men who want to preserve this patriarchal relations and the patriarchal default family. So the default concept of family means men and women getting married, making babies. Then society is much more harmonious. They're making more babies for the future labor force. But women have more education than before. You know, marriage is not only one option. Rather, marriage is becoming increasingly unattractive kind of milestone for young women. You know, they can go to work, they can have much more financial independence, and particularly women from siblings family. They have all the investment from their parents. They can make many different options than getting married. A lot of women say they don't want to be chained to be a virtuous wife and good mother. There are many other identities, professional identities they can pursue. I think the bottom line is the government really need to put more women into leadership. China is at a crossroad to make much more gender progressive policies. For instance, to address women's concerns in terms of equal opportunities, to kind of root out the discriminations in the workplace, and it's not just a demographic crisis. When we talk about demographic crisis, it's not just a crisis in terms of not enough. Maybe it's about how the society treat women, how the society value women. So we need a much more kind of holistic policy making to make a society fairer, to make a society much more gender friendly, to make a society much more progressive. Then women might be convinced, you know, it's okay to bring a child to this society. But having said that, that there is a clear trend where women have more education, the fertility rate will drop. So I think in the government, it's a time to you know, rethink about economic strategy, to think about future how, you know, to value women as important part of a labor force and important to value their reproductive rights. You know, let them decide what they want, have a family or have a career and have it all.
1: Considering what you just told us about women's attitudes and the type of policies that would be needed, is this a demographic revolution?
3: I think it would be a very kind of a gradual demographic revolution. I wouldn't say this is kind of overnight kind of revolution. This is kind of an uprising. No, I think women are pushing back in their own way. And Chinese women, they're very strategic. And they were brought up in this social and political environment where censorship is very strong. So their strategy won't be, you know, having this kind of massive demonstrations, having this kind of massive kind of uprising. I think they have
1: a lot of different kind of strategies. Dr. Liu pointed to the rise of female stand-up comedians who talk about marriage, their independence, and traditional expectations of women. (laughs) One of them is Yang Li. She shot to fame in 2020 during the comedy show "Rock and Roast." <laughs> she said, "Why are men so mediocre yet still so confident?": They're having their voice heard in their own way, so they're grudgingly pushing back these
3: patriarchal, non patriarchal stereotypes. But he said that,
1: men are pushing back against families.: For the comedian Yang Li. This backlash came in the form of misogynistic internet comments by men. When the American computer giant Intel picked Yang to appear in an advertisement, male internet users called for a boycott. Intel responded by pulling the ad, but their decision to do so had angered many women.
3: So in China we can see clear increasing gender conflicts. So it's still too early to say whether this is revolution, but I think it's a very, very interesting time. We see particularly young women are much more progressive and young (laughs) men, on the other hand, still lag behind in terms of gender attitudes.
1: The women born under the one-child policy are choosing careers over marriage and kids. But here's the thing, You can't have a career without first getting a job. And part of the crisis affecting these demographics, the millennials, Gen Z, is that right now they're both facing an historic crisis of high unemployment. That's what we're going to learn more about in our next episode.